Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. Like all those rappers and hip-hop stars, our host is so cool he now goes by OG D.O.P. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I am your host, Brian Levine, coming to you on a uh, cool, cool Tuesday night. Not as cold as it has been, but uh, cool Tuesday night. And uh, tonight in Pipe Parts... I'm going to answer three pipe uh, pipe tobacco related questions that came in from the uh, from the live Facebook chat that I did uh, between Christmas and New Year's. My guest tonight is uh, pipe maker Brighton De Los Santos, maker of the Brighton James pipes, and he's got some news to announce for us, uh, which I'm kind of excited about. And I'm uh, and I and I must say I'm a little jealous that he's figured this out, but we'll talk to him. Uh, mailbag music uh music because i discovered some more uh, pipe smoking celebrities out there or musicians out there all that coming up in a rant in tonight's episode of the pipes magazine radio show um so weather related because everybody cares about the weather even though we can't do anything about the weather so whatever the weather is it is uh, Friday night here in uh, the greater charlotte area in concord north carolina in particular we got uh, hit with snow uh, between Friday night at about 10 or 11 o'clock and Saturday around noon. We got about six to eight inches. And uh, as I've said in the past, anybody that has lived in this area knows that, man, you get a quarter of an inch or a half inch of snow and uh, the, there's a run on the grocery stores, the town shut down and uh, everybody hides. Well, guess what we did on Friday? We knew it. So we hid. Uh, we were pretty much inside the house until uh, Saturday, until Sunday afternoon around 2, and then we got out for a little bit. Uh, went and uh, finished off some uh, Christmas returns and stuff, and uh, upgraded to Blu-ray. Yeah, we're only about, what, five years behind on that? So I uh, spent uh, the rest of Sunday watching uh, movies and award shows and all that other fun stuff. And it uh, looks like, uh, you know, today looks like the rest of the city's back to normal. We've got mail delivery and all that stuff going on. Still looking out on my backyard and just a perfect sheet of snow out there. Uh, should all melt in the next couple of days because, <laughs> according to the weather, we'll be up into the 70s over the weekend, which is hard to believe, but welcome to the Carolinas. All right. Uh, hey, cold weather, perfect for smoking a pipe. Kept my hands warm the whole time. All right, everybody, sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in. Thank you to the Sutliff Tobacco Company, and here we go. I'm Jeremy Reeves, head blender of Cornell & Deal Pipe Tobacco Company. Since 1990, Cornell & Deal has been producing high-quality pipe tobacco, expertly blended by hand using time-honored methods, unique recipes, and no small amount of innovation. One example of such innovation is our bestseller, Autumn Evening. We start with whole leaf red Virginia and strip the stems by hand. The tobacco is then cut into ribbons and cooked for two days according to our unique recipe to create our special red Virginia Cavendish. Then we infuse the tobacco while it's still hot with our secret flavoring to achieve the sublime sweetness, deep flavor, and delightful aroma that makes Autumn Evening so well-loved by our loyal customers and everyone around them as they enjoy this very special blend. Cornell & Deal Pipe Tobacco Company. It's a labor of love. Contact your local or online retailer for information. Welcome back. Uh, what's funny is uh, yesterday I got a phone call on my cell phone, didn't recognize the number. I answered it and it said, hi, this is Jeremy Reeves from Cornell and Deals. <laughs> That's funny, Jeremy. I hear your name once a week. Uh, anyway, we talked a little bit. Um, so going back to the Facebook chat, uh, the Facebook live thing, which I will do a future one. I just got to set a time and I'll try to do one in a uh, in a time that's a little bit better for uh everybody on the uh on the European continent because uh 
staying up until two o'clock in the morning or three o'clock in the morning to see me on a screen is not what I'd want to do. Uh, but anyway, going back to it, um, uh, three questions tobacco related that I figured since they were asked there, everybody might have the same question out there. Uh, Paul Ricci writes, uh, wrote in, hi, Brian, can you speak to why full Virginia flake is so hard to get? Yeah, it's quite simple. Um, some of these hard-to-get tobaccos are simply because the leaf is not available or it just simply takes a certain amount of time to do it. Uh, there is only certain leaves that can be used or certain quality of leaves that can be used for certain tobaccos. And I'm sure that uh, Full Virginia Flake is one of them. Uh, the other part of it is, is maybe the facility just doesn't have the ability to process more. And when you're looking at some of these pipe tobacco factories, you're talking about uh, centuries old places or facilities. So it's a combination of the right quality of product and the capacity to produce more. And I know that uh, no tobacconist out there or no tobacco manufacturer out there is going to or is going to be or willing to uh, cut corners or cut quality when it comes to something like that. Uh, Brad Hochter asks, uh, when you age tins, do you have a specific smoke-by date, or do you just leave them aging until you eventually stumble upon the tin once again? <laughs> uh, both. <laughs> I've done both in my, uh, in my time. Um, now, I know in particular with my Virginia Periques, it's a minimum of two years of sitting in a jar with some loosely packed with some air around it, or sitting in the can. I need it in the can for at least two years. By the time you start getting to uh, five to seven years for my style of Virginia Periques, you know what? It just starts to lose some of the intensity. Uh, the flavor gets better, but it loses some of the intensity. So what you need to do is you need to really figure out what am I, what am I looking for? Uh, Virginia's really, I think, to get the full, uh, to get the best effect of them in the shortest amount of time, two years of just sitting around. Uh, English blends, we'll get into that in the next question. But again, that, that two-year time frame, you know, let the, let the tobacco sit, let them marry, let them relax uh, two years, and then you're good to go. And I do think, again, going back, oh, I don't know, two, three years when we talked about, I think there is a, uh, a peak in quality somewhere, and it's a bell curve. I guess it's called uh, the Hubbard's Peak, where it becomes a maximum, and then after that it starts to taper off, but that's highly individual for each person. Uh, and Mike Dar asked, with tobaccos low in sugars like Latakia, I've been told there is not much point to cellaring, your opinion. Uh, my opinion is that I don't like much Latakia at all. But when you're aging tobaccos, uh, Latakias in particular get smoother, less harsh, more, uh, uh, more mellowed and married into a total flavor the longer you let them sit. Uh, I know a lot of guys that have been lucky enough to either get or keep tobacco for uh, that's 20 years old, and they'll open up those English blends, and they just absolutely love them. Um, I can tell the difference when I'm in a room of a uh, of somebody that's smoking an English tobacco, and it's been aged for several years because, again, the Latakia is less bold Latakia forward and more a total complete blend and flavoring. Um, I've heard a little bit of differences between Syrian and Cyprian where the Cyprian Latakia just doesn't age as quickly as Syrian does and that the Cyprian doesn't quite have the, uh, the same taste profile so it's going to age differently. Uh, some of that may be that, uh, you know what, people just don't like the Cyprian Latakia compared to the Syrian and it's just, you know, uh, sour grapes or, uh, what is that, uh, uh, you know, they can't, you know, can't have it, so it must be better. Anyway, um, but again, with, a, with anything that's not an aromatic, with a Virginia, an English, a Virginia Perique, 
Uh, even some of these simple burly blends of old, I mean, you go way back into some of the old burly blends, put some age on them, and you're talking about just a really good single flavor instead of being able to detect all the parts. Uh, so, you know, invest in a bit of a seller and you'll, uh, you'll start to, you'll start to see a change. My guess is, even with all this, two years in. All right. And, uh, again, we'll do another Facebook chat and I'll announce it and give you two weeks, uh, two weeks head up, heads up on it. Uh, the, uh, videos had over a thousand views and we've had over, uh, 300 plus comments. There's still a few comments coming in now. All right, let's uh, get Brighton on the phone in just a minute. This is Internet Radio. Craftsmanship, history, tradition. These are the hallmarks of all quality products. From the finest wines bottled in France to the most highly engineered automobiles manufactured in Germany, Denmark has been the one country in the world where craftsmanship, history and tradition have for centuries created the finest pipe tobaccos in the world. Since 1887, the Halberg family have led the pipe tobacco industry through their ownership of Mac Baron Tobacco Company, and they continue to create the most sought-after blends in the world today, just as they did over 100 years ago. In keeping with their long history of providing the world with the best tobacco on earth, Mac Barron is proud to announce their newest creation, Modern Virginia, as a loose-cut version and a flake version. Bright and dark, rich Virginia tobaccos have been combined with just a hint of burley for strength in this soft and smooth smoke with delicious fruit undertones. As the world leader in flake tobacco production, Mac Barron is sure that this blend will appeal to the true connoisseurs of traditional Virginia flake tobacco, as well as those who like their tobaccos on the sweeter side. Enjoy the culmination of centuries of experience by picking up a tin of modern Virginia from Mac Barron Tobacco Company. Available at fine tobacconists everywhere. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show and joining us is the maker of Brighton James Pipes, a uh, younger, younger guy. I'm just going to say right now he's not my age so anybody that's younger than me is a younger guy please welcome to the pipes magazine radio show brighton de los santos welcome to the show thanks brian thanks for having me on yeah all right so let, let's get to know you where did you uh where did you grow up where are you from and uh, what did you originally want to be when you grew up well well Last session's complex, but I uh, grew up in Southern California uh, my entire life. Um, my mom was an artist, and I like to think that has some effect on me, but I grew up about an hour north of uh, San Diego, and um, an hour south of Los Angeles, and in the middle. So you're uh, kind of in uh, the, the Inland Empire? Pretty much, yep. Yeah, kind of like an hour away from Disneyland whenever you want to go? Yep, which I never do. <laughs> Not for me. Okay, well, we're done talking. Nice having you on the show. Um, all right, so let's start this off. Uh, we'll go. Back. Let's go back to reality. Uh, when did you start smoking a pipe? Um, I didn't smoke anything until I turned 18. And I remember catching my younger brother, who was 16 at the time, who was smoking cigarettes, and I uh, got in the bath and told him, if you're going to smoke anything, you're going to smoke a pipe. So when I turn 18, I'll buy us some pipes, but stop smoking cigarettes. <laughs> what, and, uh, yeah. What was it that made you tell him that, you know, let smoke a pipe? Was that something that you wanted to do? Well, you know, I was always a big reader, and, you know, uh, thinking, like, literature, uh, to mind people like, you know, got Sherlock Holmes, you got the Hobbit running around in Tolkien's world, or, you know, what have you. And uh, I thought it'd be something interesting. Um, I had already in high school, you know, played around with woodworking, so I thought the idea that, you know, being kind of an object was interesting and something made out of wood. <laughs> yeah. So what'd you do? You went to the uh, local tobacco shop and bought a couple of pipes, and how'd it go? That's literally exactly what happens. Uh, so I told my brother, I'll buy us some pipes when I turn 18. If you'll get some cigarettes. And 
when I turned 18, I uh, went down to the local smoke shop in uh, the town of Temecula. They have the Old Town Smoke Shop. <laughs> and uh, really great space, place, great group of guys. And um, so I went down there, bought a church warden, and bought, bought a billard. And um, me, me and my brother just kind of shared both of them. And, um, and uh, yeah, got into it from there, you know, bought some, you know, cheapo tobacco. And first goal was to try out all the flavors. And um, so we did that. And eventually it led to my brother daring me to make a pipe. <laughs> All right, well, wait, before we get to you making pipes, let's go back. Did the people in the smoke shop show you how to pack and smoke a pipe, or did you go on YouTube and figure it out? Uh, so back then, I didn't really, uh, wasn't online a lot. Uh, I maybe went online once to check out a video, but I never really asked anyone in the shop. I just kind of bought the pipes, and I think it was sort of, of my mind, I wanted to, kind of figure it out for myself. I want to kind of learn how it works and have kind of the fun of exploring and experimenting with it. So for the most part, pretty much just took some tobacco home and, you know, took about a week settling around with it and eventually kind of noticed a few things that work and, yeah. <laughs> so self-taught packing techniques, uh, have, did you stick with aromatics or have you moved around? You know, I didn't really like aromatics to begin with. My brother used to buy them, but I always liked Virginia. It's been from the start, and to be honest, I've been a creature of habit and haven't really broken away from much besides Virginia since. I mean, here or there, maybe at a show or something, someone will give me something to try or generous, and I mean, there's some really great tobaccos out there. Just If it comes to my own dollar, my own dime, I'll you know, kind of gravitate towards uh, a Virginia blend. When did you uh, when did you get your second pipe? Well, I got the first few pipes originally from me and my brother, and then after that, I want to say the next pipe would have been about four or five months later. Um, it would have been in the fall, and... Oh, I can't really remember what brand it was. I do think it was a Bent, which was, you know, different to smoke. <laughs> but, yeah, sometime in the fall. And it's actually, I don't remember what pipe it was, but I do remember that it was sort of the reason why my brother dared me to make a pipe. <laughs> so I was looking at it, and I spent some money on it, and I think because it was Bent, it was a little bit more trouble from the smoke, and I was like, you know, he was trying it out. We're trying to figure it out. It was so new. And he said, you know, for the money you spent on this, don't you think you could, you know, make one yourself and probably better? You know, maybe a little bit of useful hubris in there, but, you know, I thought I'd give it a shot. All right, so how did you learn? So originally, um, I got online, and I think that's when I kind of really used the Internet for in terms of pipes. Um Pretty quickly, I came across um, the Pipe Makers Forum online, and once you have an interest and you find a resource like that, I mean, I spent months just pouring through there, you know, looking through these forums, sub-forums, and, you know, trying to understand sort of beginning to end the process, but I started thinking about making them in the fall, and I think probably by the end of November, I had already purchased my first two or three blocks. I think that was through uh, Pipe Makers Emporium. And uh, bought some pre-made stems. And by the second week in December, this would have been 2010, the second week in December, I'd already made my uh, first two pipes. And how'd they come out? Were you happy with them? Uh, They were were interesting. Um... I mean, I still know where they are. I ended up giving both of them to friends of mine. Um, one went to each of them. I gave them to my friends, and they both gave them to their dads for Christmas. So that was kind of funny. Um, and I think they still kept them to the day. Definitely, uh, even from the get-go, they were not... Um, they weren't classic pipes. They weren't classic shapes. They were very uh, asymmetric, um, fun, wonky. 
modern looking, I guess, but, you know, definitely not fine. <laughs> For sure, not fine. Yeah, but from from the the from the little bit I've seen of your pipes, you are much more into uh, into sculptural and design shapes. I, I would assume that the classics are you know fine with you, but you'd rather do something that's got a little more movement in it. Yeah, well, I mean, it definitely started out with. Um... I mean, my mom was a sculptor, um, had a career as a sculptor, you know, um, did that for 15, 20 years. Um, and so I grew up in a house that, you know, was very art and design centric. I had a great uh, home school, so I had a great education in the arts and art history and humanities and all that good stuff. Um, and especially at that time, I think when you are starting to create, I was always excited with, you know, just creating something new and something different, and um, I think, you know, any possible, you know, understanding of, you know, kind of the refinement of shape, and especially what you'd find in traditional shapes, you know, just wasn't even on my radar at that time. So for me, you know, it got me into it. Once I started imagining what you could make as a pipe, you know, I just took off, you know, running off with all the great crazy ideas I could think of. Um, and that's, you know, once I started on the road of, you know, what's possible, how far can you take anything, you know what I mean? It definitely took, uh, you know, a few years for me to come around full circle and start uh, to build an appreciation for the balance and the classic standard, you know, traditional shapes that, you know, are more well-known. Um, but at the same time, you know, I think it was helpful. I mean, the kind of pipe makers I found at that time, you know, looking at Tokutomi, a lot of Japanese, Tokutomi, Tepe, Orita, um, yeah, even for me, you know, I found pretty pretty early on, I found the work of, uh, yeah, Alan Basic. And uh, back then, I mean, even him, his, his work was just pushing the boundaries are really out there, you know, compared to anything I would have imagined as a pipe. And so I just definitely got inspired by the abstract and bizarre and different. (laughs) So you're really, you're, you're taking the, taking the classic pipe and just trying to push it to every limit possible and see where the wood lets you go. Yeah. I mean, especially at that time, you know, um, uh, that would have been so. I, the first two pipes, right? In December 2010, I had just graduated high school. I was 18, um, and as I was looking at all these great pipes that you could find online, and you know, finding other, the work of like people like Jody Davis and um, um, Calbert. Yeah, Calbert's work was, you know, yeah, really far out there. <laughs> So I found all their work was really inspired. I made my third pipe early in January, and it was around that time that my parents had decided instead of giving me a car for graduation, they had told me that they were going to uh, um, let me uh, do a trip to Europe Ooh. as a graduation gift. So I scheduled a flight and stayed at sort of a community out in the middle of Holland for three months. And I had just made my third and fourth pipes in January before I left. And so I want to say two weeks before I left, I had the idea, the crazy idea of, oh, well, there's a lot of great pipe makers in Europe. So maybe I should try to contact one and see if I can, you know, learn from someone, <laughs> you know, does this, you know, as a profession or something. And funny thing is the person I ended up turning to is a, uh, Romeo or Nemo uh, Domenico. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, in the pipe world, he's, he's known for his pipes, but predominantly he's known as being the primary sorcerer or briar for all of us guys in the industry. So, early 2011, I ended up uh, flying out there. Or maybe it was 2010. Well, no, it wasn't in 2011. Uh, I ended up flying out. I was in the middle of my trip into Holland and, uh, 
took an inexpensive flight to Rome, took a train out from Rome all the way to Florence and uh, up around the coast near the border of France and uh, visited him in his town of uh, San Remo. And so, in effect, he was my first teacher. <laughs> That's that's a perfect place for us to take a break. When we come back, we'll uh, we'll we'll see what we'll see what the young kid got taught roaming around Europe, and uh, we'll talk more pipes. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute. Meet Josh. Everyone at SmokingPipes.com holds customers as a high priority, but nobody interacts with them more personally than Josh. He's our professor of pipes, if you will. As a previous professor of history, educating the customer comes easily to him. He loves explaining the history of a particular pipe to a customer or coaching his customer service team. I love to help customers find that perfect piece for their collection. It's my job to make sure there's a smile on the other end of the line, and I'm more than happy to be the one to put it there. And although Josh's job can sometimes be quite demanding, he doesn't mind. He loves his job at SmokingPipes.com. Why? Because I don't just sell pipes, I smoke them. Call us at 1-888-366-0345. That's 1-888-366-0345. Or check us out online at smokingpipes.com. We are quality. We are experts. We are smokingpipes.com. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, visiting with Brighton. And last we left off, you had uh, you had ba- you were basically free free roaming around Europe and uh, made your way to Mimo's place. And uh, I would imagine that's probably the first time you saw all the different varieties of wood. Yeah, it was um, you know it was a great adventure. Holland for three months, just a side trip to Italy. Um, I remember the first day I got into this little Italian town. Everything is dry stone, cobbled streets, and uh, just staying at the hotel. I had an email message from him uh, that he would, you know, come by the hotel that day sometime. So I'm just waiting. I literally, I mean, I may have found one picture online of what the guy looked like, <laughs> but other than that, I only knew his name from seeing some of his work and his stuff pop up online on the forum. Um, so when I opened the door, here you got this six-foot-plus massive tall Italian guy, <laughs> skinny, with a huge curly afro, <laughs> and a nose like a, a, nose like a wind sail. <laughs> it makes mine look small. Yeah, and his voice now is just booming. <laughs> Hello, Pete, how are you? <laughs> so it was a great experience. He welcomed me into his home, and for the next two weeks I studied with him. Um, and that was definitely a great moment and sort of opening my eyes to just a broader world of pipes. I mean, before then it was off the Internet, and you really had no idea what it was. But um, with him, you know, we'd... He showed me the entire process of how he um, harvests, cures, processes, grades, and, you know, dries all of the briarwood that we use as pipe makers. And um, that was really amazing because I think I, especially at that time, was one of a few people that outside of Europe that really had visited him and seen that process. And um, ever since, you know, opened my eyes to how to use and think about, you know, the structure inside of the briar. And um, his work was sort of based around that. He's a very um, asymmetric in style, his work as, as a pipe maker. Um, and I also got an education from him on profits. But before then, you know, you're just kind of making your way through the steps without any sort of formal idea of how anyone else does it. And he's showing you the lathe, he's showing you jigs, he's showing you you know, belt sanders and, you know, little ways to fold the paper to stand these sort of areas and how he pops. It was just a all-around, you know, drowning in information. <laughs> it 
so, so like three or four pipes into your pipe making career, then you get a hands-on master class with one of the few guys that understands Briar from the ground all the way to the finished pipe. Yep. Yeah, it was. I mean, I'll tell you what, it was more than I could take in. I still would go over notes probably for two or three years later. I saved all my notes while I was there, and I'd still go through my notes and find things that I had completely not even realized he had told me. (laughs) 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 He just opened the gates and, you know, threw everything at me. And it was uh, really insightful. And then, you know, in the spare time that we'd have, you know, he would talk to me about uh, pipe design. So that's where he started to discuss with me sort of, you know, what the appeal of classic is. And at the same time, he didn't really push me in that direction. He was very um, forceful and pushing me to stay away from the traditional shape. He wanted me to, to have a passion for the kind of abstract and the interesting uh, he really felt that I should invest and pursue that. Um, and uh, so that sort of set the course for my kind of attitude for the next two or three years. Yeah, let, um, me, uh, let me ask you, when you're, when you're doing one of these abstract or asymmetrical designs, you, you kind of have to imagine where the pipe is inside of it and then not be afraid to go real close to the tolerances to keep the shaping going. I mean, is, does it ever scare you that you're going to, that you're going to cut through a, cut through an important part of the interior of the pipe? Oh yeah. Pipe making is definitely scary. And I, I think more so for me because I have, I mean, one of the big parts of my process that I really think from beginning to end, I've, always done and has helped me really quickly sort of evolve sort of my own taste and design has been that I, I sketched. I've always been an artist and uh, when I first started the idea of when I, had, when I first had that idea of making pipes, I started sketching pipes. I started trying to draw the, the shapes and trying to imagine what the um, engineering inside would fit and throughout the seven years plus now that I've been doing it, I always sketch. I keep all those drawings. And um, when you have a set idea in your mind, especially early on, I had to stick to the idea because that was my idea. And I wanted to see what it would look like in the pool. Um, yeah. As I've gotten more and more experience, um, I've actually got more of an intuition for fitting um, my idea to the block. And... Uh, I've really built, I think, a really strong ability to modify any set design that I'm planning on executing and modify it to really match whatever the green decides to do. I think uh, Nemo was one of those people that emphasized how you really can't expect every piece to be the same. It's so different. There's so much going on. You know, it's a, really a 3D sort of when it comes to the way the briar can curve and twist in the block. And so throughout the years, matching my intent with the briar's reality has been something that I've been practicing and that's been sort of a push and pull. And um, now I kind of have sort of an intuition where um, I don't always have to draw the shapes I do now, but I'll see it. I'll see the way a block is twisting from one or two or three different sides, and that'll instantly spark one of those sketches that I have in the back of my head that I've been itching to make. And uh, then it's sort of this kind of mutual exploration when you're working on the wheel or the sandy disc and trying to find a balance between your idea and what the reality is. <laughs> you, but it's still scary. <laughs> You mean you can't just say, okay, I'm going to draw this and then we're going to make that happen in the pipe. You have to kind of give what the wood or get what the wood gives you too. That is the truth. Although I will say there's been some amazing exceptions. I've had, I would say more than a few dozen pipes where I look at the block and it's perfect for the shape I want to do. I look at the sketch and it's perfect for the block. And I have, measured the shape and I've, I've been able to get my pipes within probably a tenth of the sketches 
Wow. And I've done that probably for a few dozen bites over the course of the seven years that I've been making bites. So I, I want to say it's almost it's almost like improv when you have a pianist <laughs> that really, really knows their theory. There's a point where their theory isn't cognitive. It just it becomes instinct. And I think that's the same thing with me now is um, when I have that idea to actually pull it out of the briar and to make that shape work, I can instinctually really bring it to that um, meeting place a lot more easily than I ever had in the past. When but you, it's always going to be a marriage. <laughs> yeah. When you were when you do a sketch of a of a shape, are you doing a a, a side profile sketch and then a and then a view of it from the top as well? Um, so originally I used to do only side profiles, and that was sort of enough. Um, as I got more and more complex with my shapes, especially for the first three, four years of my kind of pipe making when I was still doing it part-time, um, I started to realize that some of the complex states, I wanted to really imagine them in as many angles as possible. And this was about the same time that I was, because I was part-time, I was, well, I was, I was going part-time on the pipes because I was also, at that time, pursuing a degree in design. And um, so learning how to do design sketches, you learn... You know, top, side, front, back, you know, um, perspective design, drawing. So I've gotten to the point now, seven years of drawing, I can draw a pipe in almost any angle or perspective, and I now can pretty much imagine exactly what it's going to be. Yeah. It's all, it's all in the practice, isn't it? It makes anything perfect, you know. I mean, the repetition is more of a factor than anything I can think I brought to the table, that's for sure. <laughs> now, you've also got something coming up in uh, in a couple of months or a little bit in the future that you're going to do, so tell, <laughs> tell us what you're doing, because I'm kind of proud of you, And uh, but fill us all in. Sure. So, like I said, I've been making pipes for seven years. Um the last three years, um, I've done it full time. I put my kind of education aside, and you know, for me, it was, you know, why not put everything into something you love? And so, for the last three years, I've you know been able to support myself, make those bills. Um, I will say, early on, I didn't have maybe a large hunger, so you know, <laughs> as long as I was making the bills, I was you know happy, and um, I was maybe making. 30 pipes, 35, 40 pipes in the year for the first few years. And um, then this last year, uh, well, 2015 Christmas, actually not Christmas, the weekend of the Vegas show, I've been having an interesting run-in with my landlord. And so um, I found myself at the beginning of 2016 not having anywhere to stay. And uh, seeing Lisky from Steve Lisky Pipes was uh, someone I've been working with for the last three years while I was full time, and he uh, opened up his home to me and offered to have me move in. So for the last year, I've been living with Steve, and he is just a master production, and it's been really pushing me to push myself to produce and you know think about the long term, build up a savings, try to you know make a little bit more than my bottom end every month. <laughs> and um, it's resulted in a really successful year for the pipes. So the best year of the seven, then probably 60, 70 pipes this year. And, I mean, sometimes they're still barely making it, but, you know, I've been happy. Um, but sort of beginning of this year, there's sort of a, you know, bit of a news break kind of coming up into the market. I never heard about it, but I guess it's, older news than I expected, but, um, you know, basically this news that uh, the FDA is saying to get involved, get involved in uh, cigar, tobacco, pipe tobacco, um, electronic cigarettes, that sort of thing, and there was even some speculation that, you know, pipes might be involved, tobacco pipes. Yep. Uh, me and Steve each did our own sort of research into that, and 
it, you know, from my perspective, what, what I have found, you know, in the documentation to their uh, the congressional act, um, it did seem to be that even if they weren't going to directly affect tobacco pipes right now, it did seem like they're really stretching the outer arms. And uh, for me, it just gave me a moment to kind of reflect on, you know, where I wanted to go in the future. Steve has been pushing me to think about that and... Um, I want to say it was right after the Chicago show, and I just realized, you know, if something were ever to happen to the pipe tobacco tobacco pipe industry, I'd put everything that happened to it. And, you know, it might be a wise decision to consider going back to school. I'm young. I'm 25 now. And go back to school, get a degree, and not have all my eggs in one basket. So... I started really considering it, and one of the additional factors was, as I've been pushing myself this year and really producing, I started to get a little bit distant from the actual creative aspect of my work. And to be honest, I think when you're making more and more pipes, there's a certain sacrifice you have to give over. What you're doing in production, you know, there's a certain point where you have to say good enough to sell. Um, not big shortcuts or anything, but definitely distinct, you know, lines that you have to say, well, i got to get this out this weekend, and i got to get this, and these bills are coming up, and i got to make this. And for me, what I found is, especially being creative-minded, is that really kind of took away from the enjoyment of the entire process. And so I was looking at all of this, and I thought, well, if I'm going to go back to school, I could go back for design, but I really do think that probably it's going to be some of the same. And I thought, you know, I'm also very analytic. I enjoyed science, history, philosophy. But, you know, something like finance would be pretty interesting. I've always loved I've taken a few economic courses and business courses in the past. And um, so... Beginning of the end of January 2017, I'm going to be um, starting my way back into college's career and getting a degree in finance done. And for me, it's definitely not like an either-or. Like, I'll give up pipe making to do my career. Although, you know, down the road when you have, you know, responsibilities, Maybe you have to make that decision, but as long as I, you know, have the freedom to choose, I'll always try to make pipes. And so I've been trying to imagine, you know, what the next step is for my pipe. Um, I will admit that it's kind of exciting uh, for me not having to depend on pipes as my sole source of income in the future. For me, I mean, it's just a new, I have a new sense of freedom with the pipes I'm going to be able to make. Yeah. Um, I get to enjoy the process. I get to take the extra time of those areas I want to take the extra time. Um, and so kind of looking at it like that as, a, as this is a new opportunity for me to really be free with my pipes again. Um, the beginning probably of March or April, I'm going to be um, creating a limited line run of uh, um, pipes. And so it's going to be sort of no time limit. I'm going to do a series one, starting with uh, 1 through 50. And I'm going to sort of open the books up to all my distributors and my customers. And once those 50 slots get taken or they're accounted for, the books will be closed. And however long it takes me to get those 50 out, that's what it's going to take. Um, and the flip side of that is I'm going to take all that extra time that I now wish I had this last year and really take the quality of the work just that one step further. Uh, the insides are going to get polished. Everything's going to get sanded well and thoroughly. I'm going to invest in new tooling so I can really get that perfect finish I've always been looking for, and, uh, and I get to explore more complex and interesting and 
more balanced shape, the kind of thing that you don't get to do when you're making pipes fast. Sometimes the proportions you know, are just close enough, but not what you're really looking for. And sometimes the shape isn't quite what you want, but you've got to make the deadline. So this is my new uh, avenue, and it's going to be a spring and interesting opportunity. I think that's one thing that a lot of uh, a lot of pipe collectors don't understand is that you know for an individual pipe maker if you've got to push out a pipe it may not be the one that you're absolutely thrilled with but your time is literally money and money equals you know food and rent and uh, and eventually you might want to have a family so I'm thrilled for you because then the the passion will be back in the pipes that you're making because you'll be excited to make each one when you get a chance and everything that'll go out will be, uh, it'll, it'll put a smile on your face. So that means that everybody that smokes one is going to be a little bit happier. Yeah. And you know, I mean, I would absolutely agree with the statement that it's sort of maybe misunderstood that there's, so much time that goes into making pipes. Um, there's no way you're making an hourly wage that's even rational. You know, if you're on the outside looking in, I mean, I can make the same income on a monthly basis with probably a 30-hour week um, minimum wage job as I would make on the pipes. And I put, you know, when I got shows coming up, some of those weeks will be 60, 70, 80 hour weeks in the shop. And there's so much fine tuning. There's so much almost made it, but didn't quite. There's so many areas where when you're working with a fine piece of carving, uh, like we have in the tobacco pipes now, um, there's so many places for stuff to go wrong. There can be shrinkage, there can be warping, there can be pit. The shape can just not turn out or the grain can change and, um, you know, you never know. You can, I mean, I've had it happen a few times. You're working on the buffer, and it's 98% done, and buffing wheel grabs it and throws it across the room. Had that happened two months ago. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. And, uh, you know, that's all built in. So, I mean, all the hours of testing materials and shape, you know, and you want to do a billiard, but you got to go through two blocks before you get a billiard that the grain is right on. Or a lot of times, too, when you're trying to satisfy a customer, you, you they want it smooth, you got to make it smooth. So if you start a, you know, a blowfish and the grain isn't there, and it's going to be a blast. Well, that one, I mean, you can sell it to someone, but you can't sell it to them. You know, and right now they're the one that are going to pay the bill. So you go back and you do it again. You do it as many times as it takes so you get them that smooth that they're looking for uh, to make them uh, satisfied. So... It's definitely push and pull and thin margins, but yeah. for me, being able to do it in this capacity is a side passion where I can really put everything into each one and take as much time as I need. For me, it's the right fit. And uh, to pay the bills, if you want to see Brighton's Pipes, go to Brighton, B-R-I-G-H-T-O-N, jamespipes.com. Or uh, Brighton de los Santos on Facebook, or uh, you're on Instagram and all that other stuff. Uh, Brighton, we will yep. wrap this up with the fast five final questions. No right answer, no wrong answer, just whatever comes to your mind. Are you ready? Sure, let's go for it. All right, what is your favorite pipe? My favorite pipe for me, I had two Dunhills. Um, they were both finishes dark. Um, never ever knew they would work, but I gave one to a friend of mine, but I kept the one billiard. Actually, no, the Canadian, my bad. And uh, it spoke so well. I took care of that thing for the last six years, and I dropped it in, I want to say, July this last year. Heartbroken. I love that fight. And what is your favorite tobacco? Um... I go for uh, just a tap stand. Uh, just a, like a, what was it, the original flake, I think, blue tin. Yep. Um, I've probably gone through three or four tins 
pretty stingy. I tend to buy maybe four or five tins throughout the year, but pretty much either Capstan or maybe three nuns would also be an alternative. But pretty much been buying the same, smoking the same for the last six years. <laughs> what is your favorite drink? Uh, White Russian. Cream Kahlua vodka. Little white. Can't get better than that. And when it's time to relax, do you prefer a book, a movie, or music? Music. I love classical music. Play piano as a kid and still do here and there, so nothing better than sitting down to a beautiful piece. Last question. Any uh, favorite uh, pipe smoking related memory that we haven't talked about? Well, the best story, I think, was an impromptu trip to Sweden in 2015 in the fall. Uh, one of my distributors, um, Stan Pipe, yeah. um, I was in contact with the one gentleman over there, uh, Michael Perto, mm-hmm. and two weeks before an event at Tom Elkane, he gives me the insight. And I'm like, I had five pipes on the bench, I was there, kind of taking their time, and he tells me, hey, you can uh, come as one of our guests or represent Stan Pipe as an event at Tom's place. Uh, we'd love to have you, and I was like, there's no way I can go. No way. <laughs> and then I got home and told my parents about it and told some of my friends about it, and I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to go. <laughs> so I finished up the five pipes, hustled my butt, started a few more before I left, and took them over, and um, I want to say a week before, um, my other friend, who's another pipe maker in Sweden, um, Jonas Rosengren, Yep. Um, we had talked before at the Chicago show earlier that year, and he had said, if you ever want to come out or you ever need some place to stay, let me know. And so about a week before, I told him, hey, I'm going to be in Sweden. I'd love to visit. I don't know what your schedule's like. And as it turned out, he ended up putting me up for two weeks. Wow. And so flew out to Stockholm, visited him for a few days. We He was invited to the event, too, so we all went together and, um, it was a great little shindig, beautiful shop to walk through. Tom's place was just amazing. So much history in there. And uh, so it was just a great trip, but happened on the drop of a hat. And <laughs> <laughs> Off to <laughs> Sweden. I couldn't believe I made it. Skin of my teeth. <laughs> Brighton, thank you yeah. very much for joining us. Uh, please let us know when the series is out and, uh, and what you're doing and keep us updated. Absolutely, Brian. Thank you so much for having me on. And, um, you know, I'll let you know when uh, I get a bit more of a plan going and how I'm going to roll those out and what are some of the, my, the finer points of the plan. But thank you so much. We'll be back in just a minute. What are you looking for in a pipe? Is it the quality of aged briar? Is it a certain shape or finish? Maybe it's the sound engineering that ensures an effortless, smooth draw with each and every puff. That's exactly the kind of pipe Savinelli has delivered for generations now. With such a variety of shapes, finishes, and sizes, it's easy to find something that fits your sensibility and style. Just this year, we've expanded our lineup to include the Bianca, the Lancelotto, the 2015 Collection, and the final installment in the Leonardo da Vinci line, the Vitruvio. For a bolder style, try our more colorful 2015 editions as well. The exotic cashmere, the sultry licoricea, and the striking archipelago red. So whatever you're looking for in a pipe, know there's a Savinelli waiting for you. Contact your local or online retailer to find your Savinelli today. This is Internet Radio. I just want to say uh, thank you to Brighton for coming on and for, uh, and for talking so honestly because... Uh, you know, there, there's a lot of times in our lives when we have to do things that may not exactly be what we want to do when we're forced into situations. Uh, you know, pipes pipes, and pipe makers, there's all different styles of pipes and all different types of pipe makers and uh, pipe factories, and there's a reason for that. And if, you know what, the moral of this story is that at 25 years old or however young he is, and I'm beginning to not like him more and more for it, uh, 
Brighton's figured out that you know the what makes him happy is being able to make these extremely artistic pieces and take time with it and really enjoy it and uh didn't want to be forced into a situation where he was having to produce more than what he liked so i'm really excited and looking forward to seeing what he does in the future all right uh going back to uh disney for a little bit robert and richard sherman the sherman brothers wrote most of the Disney songs from the 19, late 1950s, early 19, mid-1950s until their retirement in the uh, early 90s. And I found a documentary on them, and I've ordered it. I've yet to see it, but it's put, on by their, it's put together by their sons. And they said, you know, it was hard to show them without them smoking either a cigarette or pipes or cigars because uh, there was a lot of smoking going on. And... Both Richard and Robert Sherman, the occasional pipe smokers. So, skimming through the internet, uh, Chris Calabresi did an album called Ragtime at the Magical Kingdoms. And this song, written by Robert and Richard Sherman, originally for the Carousel of Progress that premiered at the uh, New York World's Fair in 1964. Uh, This is a ragtime version of There's a Great Big Beautiful Tomorrow. think that is the perfect sentiment for what we just talked about as long as there are pipe makers that are passionate about making pipes that they want to make and there's uh tobacco manufacturers that are not willing to cut corners and uh you know what no matter what the fda does or no matter what red legislation comes down there's a great big beautiful tomorrow for all of us in the uh, pipe and tobacco hobby three little words You've got mail. And how I do like those three little words, if you want to email me directly, brian at pipesmagazine.com or post comments to the Pipes Magazine radio show page on pipesmagazine.com. Uh, going back to last week with uh, Ken Barnes on the show, I, I want to first say a, a big thank you to Rick Newcomb, who's uh, going to be on the show in a couple of weeks. Uh, Rick is uh, Rick was pivotal in uh, getting me hooked up with Ken the first time, and you know what? I'm really glad to see that uh, Ken's passion's uh, back and renewed, and, and he seems really happy. Uh, Dino says, yes, that's the way to start off a new year. Mr. Barnes was just amazing, and really, Ken and Barry Pipes, how exciting a prospect is that? Uh, the Earl Hines tune was terrific. 
Uh, Dino says, when I quit smoking cigarettes in 1966, 50 years ago, I was up to two packs of camels a day, despite what that commercial said. I'm sure there's quite a multitude of alveoli I scorched back in the day. I'm sure that, I think those are the little hairs on inside your throat and neck. Um, anyway, uh, then he goes on to say rock hard buns and cold butter. I'm sure there's a joke somewhere in there. I am so with you on this. If you're going to charge me market price for a New York strip, there better be some warm bread and whipped butter on the table. Merry New Year, Dino. Thank you. Uh, Newbroom says, uh, Newbroom wrote two things. Uh, first, he said, I enjoy the exposure we get from Brian's guests. Insights abound and knowledge is passed on. Interesting stories of the history of all the various aspects of pipe and tobacco world. Pipes are the closest thing to a cult I've been involved with since my days as an altar boy, Dominus Vobiscum. Uh, <laughs> okay, thank you. I'm, uh, yeah, not sure. Well, I think when I worked at the Renaissance Fair back in the 80s, that was a cult-like thing. Uh, then Newbroom also said, It's nice to hear that Mr. Barnes has discovered renewed interest in the art and craft of pipe making. I'll enjoy looking at any and all of those next productions he manages to complete. Uh, that he can look at his endeavor on his own terms with his own self-described time constraint and with collaboration of an old trusted friend as a gift. I hope he enjoys to the fullest. So many informative tidbits in this interview. What a storied pipe history. Nice work, gentlemen. Mike, almost three years into my new hobby. And Al says, another fantastic show. Ken has so much to offer. It's exciting to learn of his renewed uh, contact with Barry Jones and the possibility of a pipe from that team. I also hope Ken can follow through and document his life experience uh, his experiences with pipes via a book. That would be wonderful. And uh, Ken, you have an open invitation to coming back on the show anytime. In just a minute, rant time. Good morning. Can I take your order? Can I get a tall chai? And a large black coffee. A what? Large black coffee. Do you mean a venti? No, I mean a large. He means a venti. Yeah, the biggest one you got. Venti is large. No, venti is 20. Danny. Yeah. Large is large. In fact, tall is large, and grande is Spanish for large. Danny? Venti's the only one that doesn't mean large. It's also the only one that's Italian. Congratulations, you're stupid in three languages. Venti is a large coffee. Really? Says who? Fellini? How much is that? Here's a 10. Do you uh, accept lira, or is it all you know euros? No, what? Just keep now? the change. Remember, I go into Starbucks and all I order is a small black coffee. Really goofs with them. All right, uh, tonight's rant brought to you in part by 0321. That's not the order of the numbers, but that's how the power switch looks on my fans and it looks on my uh, on on my air cleaners. Zero three two one goes from off to high to medium to low. Well, just imagine, imagine if you would a blender that the minute you turned it on, it went to high, and then you had to turn it down to low. You'd have stuff shooting all over the place. Imagine a car. The minute you turned it on, it went to full gas, and then you had to pull the pedal up to less. And then you're, meanwhile, you've shot through the driveway. Well, who was the genius that decided that fans or electric motors are best if they're off, then high, then medium, then low? You know what? I'd rather it be off and then low and kind of work my way into it instead of shooting it all over the place. I've got a hairdryer that does the same thing. It's off, high, medium, low. I've got to aim it away from me. Otherwise, it blows the four hairs that I've got left sticking on my head. It'll blow them up against the wall of the bathroom. Well, apparently, this is the new trend and stuff. So be careful when you're turning a switch on because you got to go from off all the way over to the far side to low and then work it back. So now you've run that switch across six positions instead of just running it one position over to get to low two to get to medium, three to get to high. Now, if you want to get from off to low, you got to go all the way across and then work it back up. 
Anyway, I don't know who figured this out, but somebody must have thought this must be best. I think it might be the people that actually sells these things because they figure, you know what, if it's on high, it'll blow out faster. Or, if you have to play with the Switch more times, it'll just break off. All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed the little funny stuff in there. Uh, listen, if you'd like to advertise on the Pipes Magazine radio show, contact Kevin Godby at uh, kevin at pipesmagazine.com. I want to thank Brighton for joining us. Thank you all for tuning in. And until next time. Cares about the clouds when we're together. Just sing a song and think about sunny weather. Happy Yeah. There he is again. Snoop, doggy dog.